In Matthew 28, this well-known command and charge the Lord Jesus gave his church, he said, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptise them and teach them how to live the way I said you could live. Make disciples. What are the ingredients you use to make disciples? It's the subject matter of today. Check out some of these baking fails if this video works. Now that can seem pretty silly to put up there in a sermon. I think it's profound. It's profound. It's Jesus says, make disciples. They're going to look a bit like this. They look a bit like me, Jesus says. And then we look in the mirror <laughs> and we see something different. Or what do we see? What is a disciple? Well, primarily a disciple is a learner. An apprentice. Disciples of Jesus learn from Jesus how to do three main things. If you summarize what a disciple is, firstly, a disciple is a worshiper. John 4, 23 to 24, Jesus says, Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they're the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. Whatever we do to make disciples, the end result is a worshipper, a person who delights in glorifying the one true living God. Secondly, a disciple is a servant. John 13 uh, tells us, now Jesus says, Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. So, if you look at the master and look at the apprentice, the apprentice will be a worshipper. The disciple, the apprentice, will be a servant because our model was a servant. Thirdly, a disciple will be a witness. John 20, verse 21. Um, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Disciples don't keep their relationship with Jesus to themselves. They tell other people about the good news. They're a witness. So, in a, in a very quick summary, um, what is it to make disciples? We are bringing people to a place where they're a worshipper, a servant, and a witness. So this series has been about life hubs, small groups. How do life hubs specifically, what can they do to help this happen, to create worshippers and servants and witnesses for Jesus Christ. Well, here are seven thoughts. Here are seven keys to making disciples through life hubs. Number one is conversation. Conversation. <clears throat> Discipleship happens in relational environments. Life hubs create space for conversation to happen between people. Conversation. It's marked by two or maybe more flows of words. Um, if one person does all the talking, there's not much conversation. But I think it's true to say, if you're going to make disciples, you need um, the opportunity for a learner, a disciple, to ask questions, lots of them, and, and listen and um, ask some more questions and then make statements and discuss those statements. So there's a to and there's a fro and... Uh, Together we move towards truth. Have you found that to be the case? Conversations are essential to making disciples. 
Because if you do all the talking, the learner can't actually find, give you a feedback loop to work out whether they're learning anything. So that got me to thinking, um, what conversations did Jesus have? Anyone had a look at the Bible and specifically looked for the conversations of Jesus? Um, if you know your Bibles, think about these conversations. Nicodemus, <coughs> the Roman centurion, Syrophoenician woman. Do you remember that conversation? It's a bit of a harsh one, wasn't it? The royal official, the father of an epileptic boy. Sometimes when you do the study, you realise they're quite curt, these conversations Jesus has. They're, they're very to the point, but others are more drawn out. If you went looking in the Gospels, which do you reckon is the longest one-on-one -on -one conversation that Jesus has? Who's it with? The woman at the well. God becomes man and he wanders around as Jesus, the incarnate um, Lord of glory, the Messiah. The longest one-on-one -on -one conversation by a mile. If you read it, John 1, 4, have a look at it again. It's just wanders. This, this is conversation. It's genuine conversation. <clears throat> She's a despised Samaritan woman, an outcast, such a low sense of self-worth. Jesus has his longest conversation with her. Do you know what happened to her, remember? She becomes a follower of Jesus and the first Gentile evangelist. So don't just take my word for it. Think about it. Conversation seems lowbrow. It, it seems unspiritual. Um, it's essential to making disciples because it's that place where relationship is built. Life hubs make disciples through conversation. Safe, two-way, Bible-instructed relationship building conversations so anyone good at conversation anyone a good conversationalist it's a lost art isn't it anyone know that it's a lost art um, wh why do we have emojis because you can't work out what they mean with a text and conversation is required to make disciples um Maybe you've been thinking that the person with the, the main job to do in your small group is the person who's teaching the Bible. No, it's the person who can make conversation and the person who can teach the Bible because we need to relate. It's in that context that disciples are made. Conversation, and that builds, number two, community. Conversation builds relationship and relationship builds community. Let me say that again. It's the truth, isn't it? Conversation builds relationship and relationship builds community. Biblically functioning community is a place where people are valued and appreciated and known and loved and cared for where they belong. Jesus chose to make his disciples in what context? Context of a mobile life hub, community. We can take all this stuff for granted, but we shouldn't. Jesus came to earth and he grabbed a bunch of blokes and it wasn't just the men, there were women that were part of the bigger entourage, but he had a really tight relationship with 12 men. And then even within that, a closer with three and then even one, John, was 
particularly close. Um, you reckon they had fun together in that three-year journey? Of course they did. He was a bit of a joker, Jesus. He says things that even make us laugh now. Get the log out of your eye before you take a speck out of the, your brother's eye. Um, we had an interesting comment made in one of our um, times as our Life Hub um, when someone said, a person in our group has taught me what love is because I didn't know what it looked like. And we all said, wow, now that's, that's a comment you want to hear. Because that person honestly said, oh, I, I haven't seen a lot of love the way it's meant to be in my life. And I look at you and how you treat me and I'm like, oh, oh right. That must be what love looks like. That's the baking. Like I've, I've got a bit of a mess of a baked thing, but that looks great. Life hubs can do that, can't they? Amen? You can learn what love is <clears throat> by being loved in the context of community, small group community. Now, Jesus said this in John 13, 35. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So disciples get made, if you could make them like cookies, they get made in the oven of loving relational environments. Eating together, celebrating milestones together, remembering birthdays, being interested in one another. The real life fabric of disciple making. It, to me, it sounds pretty normal, doesn't it? But that's what, that's how it works in the context of relationship. But you know what? If your only experience of a small group is going along and doing comprehension questions, because some of us, that's, what, that's our experience. It's a Bible study, so you have comprehension questions, and you don't really get known. And the leader is good at pumping out the answers and the questions that they've been done, but you've got these hurting people going, oh, I know I want to study the Bible, but I want to be known as well. I want, to, I want to get to know people. I want to experience community. And I think that that really takes leadership to take a small group to a place where vulnerability is safe to be expressed. And uh, so we need to develop those types of groups. Conversation, community. Number three, how do you make disciples? Conversion. Conversion. When people meet together in someone's home in a life hub, it's a perfect opportunity for a not yet follower of Jesus to work out how to become a follower of Jesus. I, don't, I think sometimes we forget that. I think sometimes we think small groups, life hubs, are for the disciples and evangelism is either something that happens on the street somewhere or in an alpha course or when the preacher does an evangelistic altar call. But life hubs, small groups, they're where it can happen, where we can say, you know what, are you ready to give your life to Jesus? Who knows how to lead someone to Christ in your living room? You don't have to put your hand up. But, you know, a lot of the time people, even if I ask that question, you, you, are you sitting there going, don't look at me, don't, I'm looking down, I'm looking down. I don't know how to do that. I don't know. So we feel weird about leading someone to Christ. We need to change that, don't we? Uh, we've talked about this before, but if you don't know the Romans road, you can. Like it's not rocket science. It's Jesus died on the cross for my sin and rose again and he calls me to put my faith in him. But if you want to have four scriptures that outline it really well, Romans 3.23 Put it in your Bible. Put it in the notes of your phone. So you've got 
the basics of the gospel to proclaim. People get saved through the gospel. We have to tell it. Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We've got a problem and it's sin. And um, that wouldn't matter if there was no consequence for sin. But Romans 6 says it's, there's a consequence. The wage of sin is death. It's a problem. How do I not die? I want to live forever. Oh, well, God has done something. Romans 5.8, God demonstrated his love for us in this while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. Hallelujah. What do I do to get amongst that? What do I do? Oh, Romans 10.9 says, If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, what will happen? You will be saved. Do I have to do a whole bunch of good works to make sure? I, no. No, the Christian gospel is, it's all been done. It's not what you have to do. This is the gospel. And... Um, Life hubs need to be places where we don't get bored with the simplicity of the gospel message. Because um, who knows, God might bring someone along to your group who you think is a Christian and then they say, I don't know if I am a Christian. I just want to encourage you, don't wait for the next evangelistic altar call at the next Christmas service. Lead them to Christ in your group as the Spirit guides I really hope that's what happens in our groups as we grow as a church, that many testimonies will be. We'll have that, Lord willing, that church built, and we'll have that baptistry, that the back that Gary got going. We didn't know if we'd get it. We got, we're a Baptist church. We need a baptistry. Amen. <laughs> so we have people testifying, and I hope people will testify and say, you know what, I came to know Christ because I got to know these people in a small group, and they shared Jesus, and, and I found my saviour. And it happened in a really natural, relational way. The fourth key to making disciples with life groups is communion. Communion. I love this scene, um, I hope you do too, when Jesus has risen from the dead and he's walking to the road, um, the road to Emmaus and he gets in a conversation with two disciples. And we don't know for sure, we know one of them's Cleopas, but it's probably Cleopas's wife, Mary. So there's this husband and wife that are walking along. This is James the Apostle's parents and they're walking along the road to Emmaus and they're chatting with Jesus, but they don't know it's Jesus. And then they end up having a meal together and remember, he actually opens their eyes so that he, the, the couple know, whoa, this is the risen Jesus. And they say this in Luke 24, verse 32. Were not our hearts burning within us while we talked with, he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Because there's something more when you spend time with Jesus. There's something that burns in the heart and the mind that says, we're having devotion vertically with the living God. This is not just the same as the local club. And life hubs that make disciples are able to experience communion with God. We experience communion with God. Worshipping together. Intimately praying together and for each other. Is this your experience of your small group, of your life hub? Laying hands on one another. When is that going to happen if it doesn't happen somewhere safe like that? Allowing the Spirit of God to make manifest the gifts of the Spirit for the common good. A word of encouragement, a word of knowledge, a prayer for healing, an affirmation in the Spirit. Communion together in that intimate setting is such a beautiful thing. It's how disciples are made and encouraged and nurtured. Um, it's also communion sharing the bread and the cup, isn't it? Have many people had that? I think I might ask this before. 
Who's, who's shared communion in a small group in your Bible study? Look around. There are not many hands that go up. We can do that. I mean, theologically, you may think that's a real problem, but you've got a problem historically. You don't always get some paid priest at the front to do it. Yes? We should have communion more, more frequently. And as you do it, you, you just share those beautiful words of institution where Jesus says, this is my body broken for you and this is my blood, the cup. Life hubs need to experience that beautiful unity of the spirit that comes with communion with God in a small group environment. Can I encourage you, if you never do that and you're a, worship le- a small group leader, think about doing it sometime. The end of your, your Bible study, have some bread and some grape juice and go, let's have communion together. Let's just celebrate the fact that we're brothers and sisters in Christ by the blood of Christ and we're going to live forever. So communion is a, a real key to making disciples. Number five, content. How do you make disciples through um, life hubs? You study the Bible. This is the part that's sort of obvious, I think. But you need content. Romans 12 verse 2 and 3, Paul says, don't conform to the pattern of this world. It's this shaping, pressing, um, marinating pattern. You've got to do something to oppose that. Be transformed, how? By the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. Making disciples requires the word of God but it requires the word of God taught well I think a lot of small groups don't go with the biblical model I think a lot of small groups go look let's just all have a go of teaching let's just all have a go what does the Bible say the Bible says in Romans 12 um, 1 Corinthians 12 and 14 there are spiritual gifts People have gifts of teaching who can open up the Word of God and they put effort in to get better at it so that they can actually, um, I guess, be in that flow that comes from the Spirit of God moving through any person with a spiritual gift of teaching to be able to open up God's Word. And people go, oh, whoa, I can understand that. Well, it's the way it's designed that people with that gift teach. Now, we, we have lots of our small groups. Who it's, the aim is inclusion, to give everyone a go. But I reckon over time, you, you miss out. So just have a think about that. In your life, in the small groups you've been in, were they taught well? I think it's really important that we, we honour God's word by saying, um, let's try to understand it well, but can we acknowledge who has a spiritual gift of teaching here and it doesn't mean we're having a theological lecture every time it's a conversation Um, there's um, back and forth but without someone with a gift and putting effort in it can be a little bit like the blind leading the blind is that fair point just encouraging you guys who are teachers to um, really step up in your groups and um, allow God to bless your group through your gift I think we need a biblical overview. We've looked at this um, a little while ago. If you're in a life hub and, and you ask around the, the group and no one has an understanding of the biblical overview of the, like the Bible, the historical overview, something has gone wrong in the 
collateral years of experience in the church in that group. And I've had this experience time and time again when I say, could you walk us through a story of the Bible? How many churches do we represent over the last combined 300 years? And people look at you blankly and go, I don't know. So we went through this. I think every Life Hub at some stage should be able to have some fun. Grab these words and have some fun. Put some scriptures to them. Creation, <clears throat> Genesis 3, we know that. I'm not going to go through it all. But then you go catastrophe. What happened in the catastrophe? What part of the Bible? Yell it out. Genesis 3, Genesis 3, the fall of humanity. And then the covenant, you've got chapters like Genesis 12 and Genesis 15 and 17 and 22. And where, where God says, Abraham, I'm going to give your wife, barren wife, a, a, a child, child, a promise. And I'm going to give you so many descendants you won't know how, um, they're like stars of the sky. And then, of course, they grow throughout Genesis, uh, Genesis and um, Moses comes along, Exodus. And there's so many, and they're slaves in Egypt. And then there's an awesome story, the most important story in the people of Israel, when their God came and saved them in the Exodus. And then what do you do? There's a whole bunch of people who are God's Yahweh's people. They turn up the bottom of Mount Sinai, and we get the teaching of the law. Why do you have a law? Because they're a holy people. God says, I want you to be my people. This is how I want you to live. And so we understand that. But God says, I'll give you a land, but there's big giants in the land. You're going to have to have a conquest to take that land. So that's Joshua, the, the conquest of the land. Some big challenges in there. Holy war, all that stuff. The crown. Give us a king. Give us a king so we can be like all the other nations around. And God had prophesied in, through Moses way back in Deuteronomy, they're going to ask for a king. They're going to ask for a king and he'll come and take all of your good stuff. And Anyway, and then leading up to Nehemiah that we studied recently, conceit, the judgment is coming, the prophets, the 8th century prophets all warned. And then there's how many years silence between the judgment um, about the book of Nehemiah and uh, Jesus turning up. 400 years, 400 years of silence. So we start understanding there's an orchestral conductor and he's waiting. And he goes like this, the end of the Old Testament prophetic speech. He goes, and everyone's waiting, 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 waiting. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Jesus arrives. <laughs> but the gap is there for a reason. It's 400 years, everyone's going, when's the Messiah coming? Boom, the angels sing in Bethlehem. They're singing because it's like, it's on. Christ has come. He lives a perfect life, dies a perfect death. On the cross, rises again, sends his spirit, empowers the spirit at Pentecost, Acts 2. The church is given the calling that has been all the way above to be the people of God. And then we are doing what we're called to do until the consummation where Jesus returns again and we live forever and ever and ever. You want to be able to go through that. There's books like Multiply. There's the book Story of God, Story of Us. If you're in a small group and have been for years and I asked you, could you stand up with a microphone and talk for a couple of minutes about covenant and kingdom? Could you do it? And that might sound like jargon words, but really, guys, if you've been a Christian for a while, covenant and kingdom are two he summary headings that you could explain the whole Bible with covenant and kingdom. Because you think covenant, you're talking about relationship fixing. You're talking about blood requiring to be spilt from something perfect to fix relationship. And kingdom, 
You've got all about power and name and authority. So can you see blood, covenant, saviour, kingdom, name, authority, kingship, Jesus. Hallelujah. Covenant and kingdom. Now, there's any number of ways you could teach this or converse over it or grapple with the ideas in your life hub. But if you, if you don't bring a sense of scope to your understanding of the Bible, we don't build big, solid Christians. The baking, it doesn't like the same. Um, we, we, when we first did this years ago with one of our small groups, best thing ever was when a, a, a woman grown in a Christian family, she's 28 years old, and she comes to Christmas service, and I see her after, and she's got tears in her eyes after we went through the story of the Bible, and she said, I never understood the meaning of Messiah at Christmas. And she's just crying because of biblical truth. She goes, I, I get where it sits. And of course, we caught up again in Easter. <laughs> and she's like, oh, and then he went to the cross. Like that, he went to the cross because... That was the promise to Abraham and that lamb. Oh, that was Jesus and the blood had to be shed. And I'm going to live forever because of that promise that went all the way back to Genesis 3. The, the, the um, seed of the woman will crush the serpent's head. Oh, it's making sense. We don't build big disciples if we don't love the word of God and the story of the word of God. So important. And it all moves towards, number six, character. Character transformation, that we would become like Jesus. It's not that just we can go, I can tell you every answer in the Bible if you give me a comprehension test. Jesus is like, yeah, the Pharisees were a bit like that, but what I want you to be is pure of heart. We don't get there in our own righteousness. We are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. But how we live matters to Jesus. And life hubs at their best are pushing people towards Jesus, not away. Amen? Character is being um, held up. Virtue is something that we're like, you know what? We all cut corners. We'll do that less if we can, by the grace of God. And when I've got a brother or a sister who can show me that they're not taking that same shortcut, it encourages me to go, you know what, God, give me grace, enough grace to... Help me not to go that way. Help me learn the habits of righteousness. And so in this direction, our life hub learnt this together one night, this verse, Titus 2.11. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. I tell you what, when everyone learns that together in one night, it feels good. And you're helping each other speak it out. You speak out these words. You go, whoa, he wants us to do good. He wants us to be eager to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions, but to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives. And when you're in a small group saying those words together, the Word of God has power and it's sort of affirming together. It's like, whoa, this is so simple, but it's good when the Word of God lives in our hearts like that. So powerful. So character is essential to make disciples. And we get there by God's grace with effort. And finally, calling. 
um, a life hub that's doing it well uh, teaches the word of God, understands content, and we're moving towards growth, towards Christ-likeness in our character. But on the journey, we're sort of going, how's God gifted you? Like, what's your experience? What, what is God doing in you and, and where are you going in this journey of being sent? The Father sent the Son, Son sent the Spirit, Spirit sends the church, the church sends disciples. And as we meet as a small group, part of what we do is, who are you in God? What's your calling? Affirmation. Gee, you're good at that. Um, how does that happen if we don't do it in small groups? People don't get to know us. Can I ask you, what are you, um, what are you, what are you, uh, what are you able to do ninety percent at ninety percent capacity, ninety percent of the time? That didn't make any sense at all, did it? In your life serving the Lord, what can you do? Like ninety percent potential like you're good at that everyone goes oh you do that so well and you do that nearly always i reckon somewhere in that zone is where god has gifted you and 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 he shaped you and like there's lots of things i think i reckon i did that pretty well but someone else might say you didn't do that very well (laughs) but there are other things i can do that i'm gifted at that you know you can do pretty well. I, I love that line when Eric Liddell says, when I run, I feel his pleasure. What is it for you? That's that run. You're running. We had someone sharing in our life hub and um, one time, and, and they're sharing away, and it was so amazing what they were saying. And I, I felt it's, it's subjective, right? But where else is it going to happen if it's not in a group where it's safe and it's okay to share? And I'm hearing in my head, like God saying, I want him to preach the gospel. Now, this is a new person, like struggling through stuff, and there she and I'm hearing this. I want him to preach the gospel for me. So, what are you going to do with that? I went. Oh, look at the end. I said, oh, I don't. I don't mean to be uh, say the wrong thing, but as you're sharing, like I'm hearing God say, I want him to preach the gospel. Have you ever thought of going in a ministry and like preaching the gospel? And this person looks back in our group and says, last week I prayed, God, do you want me to go in a ministry? Do you want me to preach the gospel? So I'm grappling with this issue right now. If we don't expect the Spirit of God to speak through us, he, he won't be able to. But small group life hub, um, that relational environment is so wonderful when God can prompt Words of affirmation, and that doesn't mean that that person has to be doing that, but what it does do is encourage that person that God is in the journey. Amen? God's in the journey. Okay, sorry, we're going a bit, bit long. Um, conversation, community, conversa- uh, conversion. <laughs> My brain's not working. Conversation, community, conversion, community, content, character, calling um, seven ways to make disciples in life hubs i think it works like this this is my just sense Um, if you want a life hub to work really well i reckon you need a gifted teacher without that you struggle Um, this is not so much straight out of the bible but i think you need a catalyst you need a catalyst you need that person who is catalytic that is rachel ford in our group (laughs) and uh 
we say, Rach, you need to rally some people. We need some new members. And next week, there's a few people. <laughs> there's someone in your group that's like that. They're, they're just warm and they just rally people and the, the group grows. You don't have someone like that. And I actually think you need a host. It's the spiritual gift of hospitality. And if you know what that gift is, it's not that you're necessarily good at baking things. You're good at making people feel welcome. You, you're just amazing at, at making that work. I think the leader could be either of them, but my experience, you want to have that cluster of, of, of gifting for a small group to work. Um, in your small group here, in your Life Hub, are you open or closed? Uh, are you allowed to have new people come? Because if you aren't, we're probably not going to grow that much. But it's up to you. I think we want to have open groups that can grow big. Um, I reckon it's great to not think you have to split that group too quickly. Let it grow big. And, and if you've got community working in your group, run with that. Give it away. Share it with other people. Um, I would love to see virtual groups happening. I don't know if this means anything to you, but a lunchtime virtual group could be, say, using Zoom, which is a conferencing um, thing you can do um, would we ever have a group that does a zoom together so you're really busy and you can't get to a life hub but what if we could find 40 minutes in the day to zoom together um, if you're interested in that stuff and that means anything to you technologically come and let me know and we'll see if we can um, get something working like that conversion community conversation communion content character calling 